Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just want to say first, Lord, we just love you. We just love you, Lord. Who is like you, Father? Who is like you? No one, Father. So, Father, we come to a loving Father, and we pray, Father, that you speak to us. You guide us. So many have written for guidance, for knowing God's will. But you reveal it through your word, through your spirit, through your servants, O oh Lord. And I pray today, even as you speak through me, you teach through me, Christ will be lifted up, Christ will be exalted, Christ will be glorified, and your spirit will minister to your children, Lord. Prepare us for this year that lies ahead. Prepare us, Lord. Let there be no end to your government in our lives. Never, ever, Lord. Increase in us. Help us to decrease, O God. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we continue our study on faith. And uh, keep all that you have heard over the past weeks in your heart, in your mind, so that We need to understand the ways of God, how God actually works. Because our confusion is not uh, so much whether God can or God cannot. But our confusion is with the how God works. It's knowing the person of God. So we looked last week on Gideon. If you looked, if you were there on Wednesday or the week before that, you would have seen the kind of people whom God actually chooses and why he chooses only that kind of people. No, so your prayer should be the opposite of the prayer in the world. Lord, make me weak. Make me foolish in your sight. Make me ignoble. Make me base in the eyes of the world. So that you can choose me. Okay, no, I'm not rolling up my sleeves because I'm ready to contend with you. No, I'm not. <laughs> Just <laughs> reacting to the heat. Let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Let's look at another person, another man. He's incredibly one of those few good men in the royal lineage of Judah. A few good men. He was one of them. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them, beside the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Okay? This is a good king, Jehoshaphat, good king. Background is, he made a big boo-boo by aligning himself with Ahab. Ahab dies, and then you have a record of incredible spiritual godly reformation he brings in Judah. You remember when he's back, Jehu, the seer, rebukes him for aligning himself with Ahab, and the structure changes, there's a lot of spiritual and administrative changes that made in Judah. And, if you go to verse 1, it happened after this. Whenever you make spiritual adjustments, according to the will of God, 
the enemy goes to sleep. No. He doesn't. He also moves against you. So be always prepared when you make a spiritual decision. A godly decision does not mean it will not have a reaction from the enemy. Okay? And then if you look at the reaction from the enemy, the people whom he used, the people of Moab with the people of Ammon, Moab and Ammon. Once upon a time, a thousand years earlier, two men left the earth of the Chaldeans. They entered into the promised land. Both were believers. The Bible calls both believers and both righteous. The difference was both fell. One rose and kept on walking with God. The other compromised and went into the world. At the end of his life, the record is he created an Ammon and a Moab. You always have to realize that I may compromise and die. But the legacy that I leave behind may become a snare for God's people later. So a lot of people when they compromise say, nothing has happened to me. They don't realize. Everybody leaves behind a legacy. And this is Lord's legacy. They have come against Israel, against Judah, against Jehoshaphat. Now, if you look at it, Jehoshaphat is a righteous king, one of the better kings of Judah. And the odds he's facing again is what you call impossible. Four nations, three nations, four nations are coming against him with their mighty army. The question is, we are not studying battle tactics alone from Jehoshaphat. We are not learning just that. We are saying, what would we do? How would we respond when we face odds that are beyond our capacity to handle? That's why we learn these things. How does God intervene? It's given in very detail. And all these things, good examples, bad examples, everything is recorded in the Bible, Paul will say, for our sake, so that we learn. And what we don't realize is that everything that we face in our life, whether it is a king facing this, or a child facing something else, a test, is a test of our faith. How will we respond? And we will never know how true our faith is unless... We are faced with realities like this in our personal life. And verse 2 says, three nations. Some came and to Jehoshaphat said, great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. They all joined together. Somebody came. There are always bearers of bad news in your life. Now they are not bad people. They are good people bearing bad news. You cannot isolate yourself with your head in the sand like an ostrich and say, no bad news. Because bad things happen to good people too in the Bible. Actually, a lot of bad things happen to good people. So here's bad news. And when they come, they don't come in singles. They come in like a flood. Moab, Ammon, others have joined. Rambapur, Mr. Job, one servant came running and says, oh, this happened. Everything is finished. As soon as he finished his bad testimony, next one comes and says, oh, you don't know. That is also finished. When that is over, the third one comes and says, fire came down. That is also finished. And he is starting to scratch. He said, the fourth one, come, your children are all gone. That's also finished. 
when the day of evil comes, or rather, a day can be like a thousand years. The day of evil is not necessarily in scripture 24 hours. It could last a period. Will you and I be able to stand? Job's life, one day, four terrible incidents. At the end of the day, he had lost everything. One day. So be very, very careful. Understand from scripture. If you put trust in the arm of flesh, one day, everything can go. God actually has promised in the Bible, one day, in one hour, Babylon will be destroyed. Not even one day. Okay? The whole purpose of the teaching of the word of God once you are saved is to stand when the day of comes. Will you have faith? Will your faith have resilience? And faith, remember, true faith always is in the person of God. Don't have faith in your faith. It won't last. A lot of people, when they talk about faith, their faith is themselves, meaning they have memorized scripture. They don't know really know the God of the Bible. They know the word of God. They don't know the God of the word. And they memorize scripture and when they go through trouble, they just parrot it out because their faith is in their faith, in their memory power and all they have memorized in sequence, in order, and they parrot it out thinking that will help them. But real faith is in the person of God. It's no point knowing the word without knowing the God of the word. Because God did not give us a book. He gave his son. Every other person gave a book. God gave us his son. Every other person will give a book and says, follow this. God gives us his son and says, listen to him. Follow him. That's the difference. So faith is always, always connected with the person of Jesus Christ. So the question is, how do we see God in the midst of calamities, trials, testing? Because it is not the response of a moment. It was the response of Jehoshaphat is because of a life of knowing and trusting God. That is the whole thing. The, cons- the reason we study, we meditate, we pray, we gather, we encourage, we go through the whole process of getting to know God is that when that time comes, we know how to respond because we know God. Verse 3 says, Jehoshaphat feared. That's a natural response. Everybody, don't tell me you are so brave. Come with me to a visit to the graveyard at midnight. (laughs) Fear is a natural response. God put it there. After the fall, all this came. In the fallen natural person of us, that old natural person, fear is there. And fear is a natural response. So scripture says he feared. But the point is not, not whether you feared or not. The point is that what did you do after that? He set himself to seek the Lord. That's the key. If you look at a situation and you are afraid, what are you going to do? Did you set yourself to seek the Lord? Now this is, 
It is not Jehoshaphat who is being attacked. It's Judah that is being attacked. So not only did he seek the Lord, he proclaimed a fast over all of Judah and say, let's seek the Lord. So, so those who thought, oh no, they belong to this body of Christ called GDC. Everybody was involved in 40 days phase. Not everybody. Meaning when I mean everybody, everybody who knew they belonged. They were there 40 days. All over the world. 40 days. Even the children in the churches I brought, they were fasting for 40 days. They know we are part of the same body. So it didn't matter when they joined in these 12 years. If the head is fasting, we are all fasting. They all fasted. And yesterday was the 41st day. 40 days were over. So we gathered. Because if it strikes one, it strikes all. Right? That's how you see it spiritual. There he proclaimed a fast. All of Judah. He sought God. And he got Judah to seek God. Please remember this. People fall apart when the day of trouble comes. Listen carefully. Not King James Version. This is Pastor James Version. Okay, People fall apart when the day of evil comes. It's because they never learn to seek God during the good times. God gives us long, long periods of good times. All the young people sitting over here, your good times. Technically speaking, you have to worry for nothing. That's the advantage of being a child. All your worries are taken care of others. But God says, what are you doing? Are you seeking him during those good times? And those who are a little older and unmarried, Still good times. No burden on your shoulders, right? Look at Peter. Look at Dr. Richard. Look at Hannah. Look at Akila. No burden. Look at poor Anne. No. And things first God, then Yuhan. God, Yuhan. God, Yuhan. Right, right, Yuhan? Every call I get from Anne is, Pastor, pray because I have to do this, or Pastor, pray because of Yuhan. Why? Because once you are married... Burdens increase. So all those who are bachelors and don't have much burden on your life, do you see God? I'm just leaving it open. Okay. The question is, when that day comes, will we stand or not? Okay? Stand or not. So he is feared Set himself to seek the Lord. We all carry fears in our heart. All of us. Don't tell me that somebody is so sacred and holy, you have no fear. All of us carry fears in our heart. Look at Job. In Job chapter 3, 25, after all his family, everything is destroyed. Family. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. And remember, this is a father talking about losing his children, not losing his property. This is what he feared. And if you look at Job Job chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, you can understand when he was living and the children were living, his response. 
His sons would go out and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite the three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was that the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. This was a man who woke up early in the morning and constantly prayed for his children because his children never sought God. And he always feared something terrible is going to happen to them. So he was standing in the gap and interceding. But sometimes intercessions don't work. But that was a fear in his heart. Okay, There are two things which you need to understand in life, all of us. One is fear, one is grief. Fear and grief is common to everybody. The point is, how will you handle it? In the hour of fear, will you seek God? In the hour of grief, will you seek God? Because if you don't, both can destroy you. Both can destroy you. And I know people in the Bible and outside who are destroyed by grief. How many years did Jacob lie unused by God thinking Joseph was dead? And Joseph was not dead. People lose a spouse. People lose a child. People, no, a child. And they are overcome by grief and they are gone. Depression sets in. Lose a child. Not just losing a child in terms of losing to death. Sometimes the worst is losing a child to something else other than death. One is a finality is there. It's gone. Sometimes there is no finality. You got into drugs and you don't know when this will die. It's a living death. A son, a daughter, living death. And they are overcome by grief and unable to do anything. You see, why was Job able to stand and seek the Lord in his loss was because he sought the loss during his good times. All the children were doing good, healthy, smart, strong. He still rose early in the morning to pray. See God in your good days. See God. On the day of evil comes, you should be able to stand. You should be able to stand. Because otherwise what will happen, you will be overcome by either fear or you will be overcome by grief. The most important verse connected with Job as he goes through his calamity is given in Job 1 verse 20 to 22. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. It's incredible. First is that this is a man who is grieving. Grieving. Deep grief. But in his grief, he worshipped. That's a man who knows God. Learned to worship in his grief. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He worshipped. What does what does the next verse say? All this Job did not sin nor charge 
God will wrong. Getting it? These are people who have consistently sought God in their life. So when calamity comes, they don't point the finger up. Like Naomi. Curse me! Don't call me Naomi! God is hard against me. No, God is not. Do you think God changes? So Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast. Like I said, because it affected everybody, he invited everybody. In 20 verse 4, scripture says, Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. You see? How did they gather? As one. Judah gathered as one. God always sees Israel as one body. He sees the church as one body. Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord as one. To seek the Lord. And if you go to verse 5, within Judah, God changes its order. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah, Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord. There is Jehoshaphat standing right in the front. Where is that? All of Judah, Jerusalem, the temple, and Jehoshaphat. There is an order there. Remember always, God has order in his life. There is order in God's court. There is always order. I was talking to somebody taking, giving a Bible study on the phone with somebody in another country because other churches, when they have issues and they call and say, why is it can't be this way? So I said, if you look at it just plainly, say, what's wrong with it? But if you look at it in God's order, there is something wrong. That's why you have to know God. Once you know His order, you will realize there is something wrong with it. So there is an order. Everywhere you will see God has an order. And then he will pray. When he prays, in verse 6, when he prays in verse 6, O Lord our God, Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power, might, so that no one is able to withstand him? He's not questioning. He's making a proclamation. That's the, that's the key. Hebrews 11.6 is very clear. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. That's the thing. He's not looking Hephzibah at his calamity. He's facing three nations and their mighty army. He's not looking at them. He's looking at God. Isn't this who you are? See, our problem is we magnify our problem instead of magnifying our God. Josephus is not magnifying his problem. He's magnifying his God. So do we know who our God is? Do we know who our God is? Isn't this who you are in the, in the current state of this country? Do you know who God is? Do you really believe that he rules over all the kingdoms of all nations? And yet we are the only ones who are privileged because we have his name and know that our father rules. You look, honestly I ask, when I talk to people and pastors, I tell them, when the election result came in, a lot of people were disappointed of different communities, different religions, this thing. But we are the only set of people that the result was discouraging and just peps up because at the end my father is on the throne. But you can't. You don't have that assurance. You don't have that confidence. You cannot. Because 
you don't know him. Because he was not elected. His throne doesn't change in five years. He's there forever. And our great privilege is he calls us sons and daughters. So please remember this. This is what God is asking us through Jehoshaphat. Do you know your God? Is he or was he or will he be or God is always the same? Let's come to verse 7. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Awesome, right? He is going and reminding God, Lord, why are we here? Because of Abraham. Because Abraham came here. Why did he come here? Because you told him to come here. You brought him here. You gave this land to his descendants and Abraham was your friend. How do you go before God? He's basically saying, Lord, if you hadn't befriended my great father, grandfather Abraham, and brought him here, if you hadn't brought him here, I wouldn't have been here. I am here because of you and your relationship with my grandfather. Right? Who is the author of our faith? Jesus. Why are we here? And who is Jesus? Not the friend of God, the son of God. Do you know how you go to God? Lord, whenever I testify, Lord, it is wrong. I know I didn't choose you. I know you chose me. I didn't choose you. You chose me. You are the first mover. You started this work in me. And I'm coming to you in the name of my eldest brother who chose me. Who is your son? who happens now to be my brother. In my name, Jesus said, in my name. Hebrews don't have a name, so they always have to go and say, in the name of Abraham. Oh, remember our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's how they say. Or if it was the other kings of Judah, they will say, remember our father, David. Two names they have, Abraham and David. And they always have to remember, they cannot talk anything about Abraham or David's goodness. They will say, your friend. But we can boast about our elder brother's goodness. See, the enemy wants to intimidate. That's why he sends all these forces. Because the enemy comes to steal, to kill, destroy. And he's coming after Jehoshaphat. Against Judah. Because that's part of God's kingdom on earth. The kingdom. The loyalty to the king. Always questioning. A lot of people, when these issues come in, they will compromise. I'm telling you, they compromise. Majority always compromises. When the pressure comes, they compromise. Because they are not loyal to the person of God. You can be loyal to a doctrine without being loyal to a person. Please remember, if you ever want to sustain this walk with God, be loyal to the person of God. Otherwise, many kings immediately sent tributes, everything, and made peace. Jehoshaphat is going to God because his loyalty is to God. And his appeal is based on something, on a promise. In Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 20, years back, Solomon, 
when he dedicated the temple, he made a proclamation. That your eyes may be opened towards this temple day and night, toward the place where you said you would put your name, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. And then, the other verses, 28 to 30. When there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hand to this temple. Are you getting it? Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive. Give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of the sons of men. This was his prayer. Okay, this was his prayer. And what is God's response? God's response is, God also has to respond. This is Solomon's prayer in verse 7. Uh, chapter 7. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. And I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. In this place. Verse 16, for I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. That is why he calls everybody to Jerusalem. He himself brings everybody to the temple, stands there in the court because he has the promise to go back because you told our forefather when you are in trouble, if you come to this place, you have put your name over this place, you will hear our prayer. That's why when Jews pray, they pray with their windows. Daniel opened his windows towards Jerusalem. Even you cannot be there in Jerusalem. Your eyes are towards Jerusalem, towards the temple, because you have put your name over there. And when Muslims pray, they pray towards Mecca. But when you and I pray, first we take a stand inside, because you are the temple of the living God. He is inside. You stand or fall inside first. That's the difference. you remember in Second Peter? God said, His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of whom called us by His glory and His virtue. How do you partake of it? Through His exceedingly great promises. Huge armies coming against you, surrounding, beseeching Judah. He goes to the temple, spreads his hands before God and says, I'm standing on your promise. I'm standing on your promise. That's why we study the word. That's why you hear the word. That's why we learn the word. Because we need promise from God to stand on. Standing on the promise. The promises of God are yes and amen. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. His promises never change because God never changes. Second uh, Chronicles 29. If disaster comes upon us, sword, Judgment, pestilence, or famine. 
We will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is on this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Did you see that? He puts four categories over there. Affliction is itemized for our sake. What are the four? Sword, judgment, pestilence or famine. What is the sword? The sword is the unexpected satanic attack that comes on your lives. He cuts, he wounds. The devil comes to steal, to kill. That is the sword that can can come into an individual life, can come into a family when that cut comes. Judgment. False accusation. That's a weapon of the enemy. When the sword comes, how do you personalize this into the 21st century, into the life of an individual believer? How do you take it? Sword, a calamity happens in your life, in your family. How do you stand? Judgment comes. False accusation. No weapon that is formed against me shall every lying tongue that rises against him judgment. Judgment. It's a weapon of the enemy. Every judgment. Pestilence. Every form of sickness, physical, mental, emotional, whatever. Pestilence. And then, famine. The famine is those dry, desolate times when God seems so far away. It's the test of your commitment. Whether you will still stay loyal to a God who seems to be so far away. And he says, when these things happen, what do we do? We will come and stand before this temple in your presence. That's what we will do. We are teaching. God is teaching us through Jehoshaphat. When these things happen in your life, it will all come to everybody's life. Some may be going through one or more of these. When it comes, God says, come and stand before me. The Bible is full of records like this. We will stand before you, Lord. But you also need to realize, the Bible is full of records where God directs people to specific places where to go and stand. Let me show you a few. In Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 22, Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. Okay? God is telling him, you go there, I will meet you there. In Jeremiah 18, 2, Jeremiah has told, Arise, go down to the potter's house, there I will cause you to hear my words. To Elijah we know, in 1 Kings chapter 17, 9, and before that also go to Chariot, and then he says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, dwell there. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. In Genesis 45 and verse 11, God tells Jacob, There I will provide for you. Go to Egypt, lest you and a household, and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? Seven years of plenty, two years of famine are over. So who, who knows there are two, five years of famine left now? Joseph knows. Jacob knows. The only two prophetic figures in the entire family because both hear from God. One saw a dream, the other hears from God. There are five years of famine. 
God doesn't speak to any of the others. Only the two prophetic figures there who are connected to God. They know there are five years. Moses was told in Exodus 24 and verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. Hosea, Hosea was told, we say Hosea, abroad they say Hosea, in 12.4, and he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. He found him in Bethel. In Psalm 33 and verse 3, God says, It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. So we are called to go to different places and here of course it ends with Zion. So the question is where do we stand? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 scripture says do you know that you are the temple of the living God? And all the ministry that is going on now is to that inner man, the temple. So that your inner man is nourished by the word and the spirit. So that when you face oppression, you are able to take a stand inside. When the day of calamity comes, where do you stand first? Inside, not outside, inside. If you don't take a stand inside, you will fall outside. If you take a stand inside, you will not fall outside. What does Daniel 1.8 say? Daniel purposed in his, he took a stand inside. Buddha has a prototype for us in the new covenant. You are the temple. So you stand before God first inside. In Ephesians 2 and verse 22, scripture says, In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place for God in the spirit. You, you take a stand inside. In Psalm 91 and verse 14, scripture says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my... That's exactly what Jehoshaphat is saying. We have come to your place. This is your temple. You said if you come here, spread your hands before me and pray because I have put my name on this place. Now he hasn't put a name on a place. He has put a name on us. Because he has known my name. That is the individual believer. You're in calamity. Then in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. Now it has become us, the whole church. The church is the temple. Okay, You are the temple. The church, the body of Christ becomes the temple. So there is a place we gather in his name. That's what he's saying in 29. We have gathered in this place. We gathered yesterday in a place. We gather today in a place. We're gathering in a place. If we all go stand in 500 different locations of the church in the city and says we are gathered, God won't be anywhere. There is a place to gather. And that is Jehoshaphat's prayer. And when he prays, if you look in verse 6, what he is confessing is, he is confessing God's power and authority over every situation. The good, the bad, and the ugly in your life. That's what you confess. We don't confess his authority over the good things in our life where we have control. We don't want God to interfere there. 
we want god to interfere only those things which we are not able to handle he is not saying that he says you are in control of everything your power your authority is over everything and he says so that no one is able to withstand you question is can we see god's hand can we see god's faithfulness we know habakkuk habakkuk is able to see god's faithfulness in the midst of famine but about job in job 13 and verse 15 though he slay me yet i will trust him no he is almost telling like the child even as the father is mocking him he still clinging to the father he's running around the father clinging him as he is getting that's what he say you slay me i still i will cling to you my loyalty is to a person my trust in is in a person and verse 7 of 20 are you not our god who drove out the inhabitants what is he looking back like i said we look back 11 years or your life can you remember his past faithfulness all he can hear in his natural hear is the march of a million foot and war drums but he's standing before god and says lord when i hear with my spiritual ear when i remember is your faithfulness you've always come through for us and therefore i'm banking on your faithfulness and not what i see and what i hear are you getting the picture that's why jesus said here he says why because of abraham that's why god always has a remnant in israel because of abraham he will show kindness to them but we have somebody bigger than abraham that is jesus jesus said about abraham abraham rejoice to see my day so the question is are we in a covenantal relationship with jesus are we do we have assurance i'm not worried i'm not afraid because i know jesus is for me verse 10 and 11 it's interesting verse we did 8 and 9 and now here are the people of amon moab bound here whom you would not let israel invade when they came out of the land of egypt but they turned from them and did not destroy them here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession which you have given us to inherit he says you know lord when israel came out you told moses don't touch amon don't touch moab we could have destroyed them if you had agreed your power would have been but he said leave them alone so we left them alone destroyed all the other nations we left them alone why god showed mercy to them because they were lord's children you have to understand why certain things don't happen to certain people they have done nothing they have only sinned and sinned and sinned but god will still show them mercy because somewhere up the line somebody was a little faithful to god we may be ungrateful but god is still not ungrateful people are very ungrateful they forget all the good others have done to them but god says you know what i look at amon i look at moab i look at all these people the most stiff necked ungrateful people but i still remember lot this he didn't sin against me he did nothing for me but he didn't sin against me for his sake leave them alone israel don't destroy them leave them alone 
understand God, how He works. We had a chance to destroy them, we didn't do it. You said no. So how do you translate this in today's terms in your own lives? Our enemies are coming, Lord. We could have destroyed them, but we didn't destroy them. So how do you translate them? God says, bless your enemies. Don't curse them. Bless your enemies. Don't curse them. Let me explain to you very clearly why this is so important. Let me under, let me explain to you. Listen carefully. Friends, Roman citizens, lend me your ears. There are two power structures in this world. One is God's, the other is the devil's. Devil has different, different kinds of people who are part of his power structure and God has his servants and his people. All. We are all his people, servants. The power of the enemy is used, his spokespeople. You, how they control people is through the power of curse. That's why even in this country, people are very scared to go against the religious structure because it is all the power of curse. And it works. In every religion it works. The power to curse you and to destroy you. This whole land is controlled by that. The power to curse. The whole people captive their entire life. That's why to do anything, they will go to them. Is this a good time? Is this a bad time? Is the sun in a, Is this everything? Because they're always scared of a curse and things going wrong. And if you go against them and they don't get their fee, they will curse you. Let me ask you this question. When did India become free? August? But actually when did India become free? Midnight. Why midnight? Because when Lord Mountbatten was asked when would India be free, a year earlier, he said August 15. And all the astrologers came together and said 15th is a bad day for the country to be free. So he had to make peace with his people and said, midnight India will be free. Neither this side nor that side. To go with astrology. That's why our freedom is called freedom at midnight. And from that day and before and after, the people of this land is controlled by the power of a curse if you go against them. God says, you are a free people, not because you have the power to curse, because you have the power to bless. That's the difference. The power to bless. Now go to Genesis chapter 12 and read verse 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. In the next verse, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. If you are a really a child of God and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and if somebody hires one of them to curse you when he tries, he will say, back them off. You will be in trouble. Don't curse them. Don't curse them. You are in trouble. Don't curse them. There are seers among them also who can see. And you'll say, leave them alone. Their God is dangerous. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. So we have the power to bless. And they operate on the power to curse, power structures. And God says, you know what? You're not afraid of the enemy. 
Because you know your God. But you are not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting powers of darkness. So we bless flesh and blood, but we fight powers of darkness. Understand that. And that's what they are talking about. This is your position. If you go back to that previous verse in in uh, in uh, Chronicles, what did they say? This is the position that you gave us. Isn't that right? You see, 18 times in his prayer, he uses the word, thou, thine, thee. He never says mine. It's, it's all connected with God. It's yours. And this land is yours. You gave us this land. It was not ours. You gave us this land. Now let me ask you, how do you translate that into our times? Go to Psalm 24 and verse 1. Throw us out of a position. Now let's go to the other one. The earth is the Lord and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell. Whose is the earth? Whose is the people? So do you have a right to ask for the souls of the people of India? They belong to God. That's what we are fighting for. We are not fighting for land. We are not fighting for money. We are not fighting for power. We are not fighting for authority. We are fighting for the souls of the people. And it is my God's, not yours. Because the earth and the fullness and the people belong to him. It is his. And all power and authority in Matthew 28, Jesus said, is given unto me. All power, he says, is given unto me. Oh, Matthew 28, not 24. All power in my name, he says, go, baptize them. Make them disciples. That's why we go fearlessly. Authorities, kingdoms, all will arise, but they will all get wiped out. Ultimately, because the kingdom of God will prevail. But be very clear what you are going for. Because today's gospel, you are going for money. But the gospel is for souls. The wealth of the righteous, wicked will be, all is about wealth, 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 wealth. I don't know where this gospel of wealth came of. Transfer is not souls, the transfer is wealth. It's sounding like the gospel of the king of Bera, king of Sodom, Bera. Keep the wealth, take the souls. Here God is saying, keep the wealth, give me the souls. Verse 11. Yeah, let's go back to Chronicles 11 and 12. You have 12 there? Let's go to verse 12. I like verse 12. Quickly. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Please let me tell you children, don't go into hyper faith and hyper grace. Don't go there. First thing he says is, we have a problem. We have a? If you don't acknowledge your sickness, how will your healing come? When you are sick as a dog and you are confessing health, where is your healing going to come? Everybody who got healed by Jesus had to say they were sick, right? So acknowledge your problem. How are you? Oh, fine. If you got a problem in your life, acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. That's why he went before God. Today's hyper grace is that you have no problems. Confessing only success. Full of problems, yet only confessing. If you don't confess your first, acknowledge your problem, how can you get success? 
That's wrong confession. Then the worst confession was made by Jesus. When Jesus told, uh, when they told, uh, he told uh, his disciples, Lazarus is asleep. And they said, oh, he said Lazarus is asleep. He said, no, he's not asleep, he's dead. What a confession. He's dead. But he said, I'm going to raise him up. We do not know what to do. We don't have the power. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are upon you. Let me make this very clear. You are very good in your word. But let me make you. Because you also are onto many, many channels. So let me make it very, very clear. Okay? There are two things about faith. One, faith is in the ability of God. Okay? Second, faith is in the sovereignty of God. Both has to be there. Otherwise, it's not true faith. Let me explain to you. Watch me carefully. Your eyes are on me. Not, okay, right now. Watch me carefully. I took this and I lifted it. Right? Now Siri is sitting over here. If Siri comes here and lifts this and puts it over here, what will you all say? Ah. Right? If Pastor Bidya is much stronger than me. He comes here and he lifts it and puts it over here. Will you all stand up and clap? Why don't you clap? Ask me this question. Why don't you clap? You expect it, right? Not a big deal, right? Much of our clapping at the power of God is an insult to him. The God who created everything by the word of his mouth threw a billion stars into space, heals your headache. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What is this? Are you insulting me? The problem I'm telling is, I'm not saying your jumping is wrong. The problem is you only clap at the ability of God to rescue you where you negate the sovereignty of God to keep you that way. That's exactly what Daniel's three friends said. Daniel's three friends said, as far as our God, we know who he is. He can take us out, he can keep us out. We never question the ability of God. But we will not tamper in his sovereignty. If he wants to save us, he will save us. If he doesn't want to save us, that is his prerogative. But as far as we know, we know only one thing. This knee only bends to him. That's the problem is today's faith sitting. They only talk about the ability of God. They negate the sovereignty of God in your life. True faith brings these two together. We know, Lord, you can do anything. But we don't know what to do. If you tell charge, we will charge. If you tell run, we will run. We leave it to you. If you say fight, we will fight. If you say surrender, we will surrender. We leave it to you. Sovereignty is in your hands, not in my hands. If I tell God I believe in you, I am expecting you to do things only in this way. You have believed in the ability of God because he can do it that way, but you have negated the sovereignty of God. That's why they did not accept the counsel of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah went on and kept it, saying, surrender, 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 surrender. They threw him out because they believed in the ability of God. They did not believe in the sovereignty of God. 
And in life, when you really get to know God, and you only believe God for your success, temporal success, in the long run, you will run into trouble with God. Run into trouble with God because you haven't understood really, really God. That's what he's saying. Our eyes are upon you. Our eyes are upon you. Don't deny your problem. Just change your focus. Our eyes are upon you. Where are your eyes today? Where is your heart now? So that's why he said one of those good kings, my eyes upon you. Not generations later, when one of his sons or descendants, Ahaziah, is killed by Jehu. Jehu has been anointed to kill certain people, right? And Ahaziah is killed by Jehu. And usually when somebody like that is killed, they throw his dead body out. But he said no. Give him a decent burial. You know why he's given a decent burial? What's the testimony of Jehoshaphat? With God, his descendant, a good burial. It is given in Second Chronicles 22.9. Then he searched for Ahaziah. They caught him. He was hiding in Samaria. Brought him to Jehu. When they had killed him, they buried him. Because they said, he's the son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. Can you imagine? A wicked son gets a decent burial because his father sought the Lord with all his heart. Testimony of Jehoshaphat lives even after he's dead. That his eyes was upon him. Are you seeing the picture? What God is talking about? Go back to 2013. I want you to go through this. With the time we have available as much as we can do today. Now all Judah, with all their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. If it's an individual problem, It's an individual solution. If it's a family problem, all of you are young families here. All of you. Almost 99% of the families sitting over here, young couples with young children. So you have no clue what the future holds. You have no clue. That's why I said you need to be strong today to stand on that day. You don't know what your son will become. You don't know what your daughter will become. You are all very confident on what? What are you confident on? You have no clue what your daughters will become when they grow up, what your sons will grow up and think. So what you do is that now when you have a problem in your family which affects the whole family, hold hands together, husband, wife and the little children and stand before the Lord together. Now, that's what they did. The problem that is affecting Judah is going to affect the smallest child over there. If they don't win, even the smallest child dies or is a slave. So it affects him whether he knows or not. Therefore, stand together before the Lord. That's what they're saying, we either stand or fall together. And as families, young families, learn, learn to include when it is a family issue. Include them. I'm not saying to discuss and like today's liberal democrats, no. I'm not talking about asking their advice and all, no. Say, we go to God together as a family, let's go together. Because it's an issue. That's what they did. All of them. That's what we did yesterday. Even the little, little ones were there. All of us together. Lord, your government is beginning. It's a 12th year. So we came together as little ones and bigger ones and families and husbands and wives. We all there. Yeah, even she was there. All were there. We came together, says Lord, let your kingdom come. 
Are you getting it? Because this is all got to do with God's order. Then the next verse says, when God has found everything falling into his order, the heart of the king, the heart of the people, even the little ones are all part of it. Then, that's the key. All this has no meaning if this then is not there. This is what changes everything. Then, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziah. It doesn't matter who it is. That's the key. Remember last Sunday I said, what did I say? As far as I'm right, if you look at the timeline, I'm not very good. Pastor Vijay probably will find it historically or uh, Brother Cyril is over there. He would be able to find out. But as far as I know, Elijah may not have gone. He could have been still there. Elisha is, Elijah is there. Elisha hasn't started his ministry. The other guy, what is his name? Micaiah, right? Micaiah is still there. Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer is there. I mean, big guns are there. Okay? Big guns are there. Imagine, we are all in yesterday's meeting. I am there. Pastor Vijay says, Sister Elsa is there. And suddenly Siri stands up and the Spirit of God falls upon her and she says, Thus says the Lord. Will you receive it? That's what happened. One Levite, upon him the Spirit came and he exactly told them what they need to do. The Spirit of the Lord came. That is the key. When you are reading and studying the word, is the key is not your understanding. The key is that when you read the word of God, suddenly the spirit of God comes and you hear him saying, this is what I am telling you. This is for you. That's when it becomes living. The rest is good doctrine to live. But to act, you need to hear. Those who have heard from God are not moved. You need to realize the reason you get moved by your situations is because you have not heard from God. You have to hear from God because our God is a living God. And you may not be even able to explain to anybody how does this make any sense. Because does God make sense? Most of the time when God tells you something, even now what he will tell them doesn't make any sense. What does he say? He falls. Listen all you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, See, when the Spirit of God comes upon even the most ordinary people or the prophet, they are just vessels. And they are they are not cowed by royalty or anything. And you, King Judah, listen, this is what the Lord says. You know, these prophets were never afraid when the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. It's a simple man. Isaiah walks into Hezekiah's chamber. Thus says the Lord, put your house in order, you're going to die. And he walks up. Not high king, by king, nothing goes. The king weeps over there, weeps over there and God tells Isaiah, go back and tell him. Okay, no problem. The king, has, the Lord has said 15 more years, no shame, no this thing because I am just a vessel. To die or to live is in your hands and not in my hands. This is the things which your children, because even today, yesterday and all the people are asking, pastor pray that I receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about something about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How you should be ready to receive it. I'm not talking about your heart attitude. Acts chapter 3. Verse 12. Acts chapter 3 verse 12. Got it? Yeah. Let me give you the, this thing. This is the beginning of the church ministry outside. Peter and John go over there. There's a man sitting lame at the temple. 
temple gate called beautiful. They look at him, lift him by the hand, he's healed, he's jumping, he's dancing, and all the people are all stunned. The spreads like wildfire over there, and blah, blah, blah. You know how it happens? Then they looked at them and said, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why look so intently as, as though we by our own power or godliness has made this man walk? That's key. If you get healed, it's not because of my godliness or my power. It's because of God. I have nothing to do with it. Remember that always. Because today what happens is, everything that you see on the stages and on the TV is the glorification of that man. Let me ask you this question. Why is it that, let us say, Peter and Shravan, let us say Peter has a miracle ministry, big ministry, and everybody is getting healed. At the end of every testimony, it is Peter prayed over me. Okay? Why Shravan has a meeting? Why doesn't Shravan bring anybody who got healed in Peter's meeting to give a testimony? Because if it's the same God who is healing, it doesn't matter whose meeting he got healed, right? Ah, but you won't allow him because then Peter gets the glory. That is exactly what is happening. I will believe that he is a genuine man. I'm not questioning the power that is working. I'll believe that he's a genuine man of God when Peter will call somebody from Shravan's ministry and says, come and testify in my meeting. Because it is God who healed. That's why I don't allow people to give testimonies here. Because half the testimony is about themselves. Hardly anything about God. And the first testimony in the book of Acts, when they come and they say, why are you all jumping and looking at us as if we did either by our power or, I love it, I love the second part even more. Just because somebody gets healed in my ministry is no sanction that I am godly. Never ever think because somebody, even if I raise from the dead, is a judgment on my character. No, only God knows. Only God knows who each one of you is. His power can flow through any vessel. When Elijah brought fire down from heaven, did anybody know that he would run before a woman? A man who could stand before 900 prophets of Baal and the entire nation against him ran before. Did anybody see that? No. God used him. So those who are aspiring for all this have the attitude of Peter and John very clearly right in the beginning. So not only God can anoint you with power, he can sustain you with it all your life. That's why almost all the miracle workers I have seen, they have died miserably at the end. Many of them died miserably at the end. It's because this has got to do with God. This has got nothing to do with the vessel. We have no power, Lord. Our eyes are upon you. And just standing before you, what is your solution, Lord? And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a small little fellow in terms of stature in the tribe of Levi. He opens his mouth and he gives. And he said, listen all of you Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Don't be dismayed. Why? Because there is a battle. There is a spiritual battle every day. But don't be afraid. Why? Because this battle is not yours. It is God's. We all love this. The battle is God's. The battle is God's. But go wait. When does the battle become God's? When you hear and do what God says. That's when the battle becomes His. 
The problem is people hear this much and then take off without waiting to hear the rest of the instruction. Listen to the rest. Tomorrow go down again to some. They will surely come up by the ascent of Jis. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jir will poof. Look at that. The advantage of hearing from God. Imagine Jyoti had heard on that day, which was whichever day of May it was that night. They are saying, Jyoti, don't worry, you come, you serve and all. When you go for that neat exam, this is the questions that will come. I know people who got it like that also from God. See, I'm not saying, I, I, I will, like I told you, I will negate nothing from God. Why did God give Daniel ten times more understanding than all the others? When God, the king asked a question, he gave the answer, even the king was stunned by his answer, even the king did not know it could be answered that way. The thing is that all this thing is that you really need to believe. And you say, Lord, I believe you. That nothing is impossible with you. I take my hands off. That God knew exactly how the enemy was going to come tomorrow. How will they come? Which way they will come? Why I'm saying is this has to be restored into the lives of God's people where you know. Therefore you are not afraid. And you hear. Then... You will not need to fight in this battle. He says, you don't have to fight. You don't have to fight. Position yourself. Stand still. This is not easy. I'm telling you to walk with God is not easy unless you know Him and you trust Him with all your heart. Telling like you have to buy the time. Gideon has, that's why God gives signs so that your faith can increase. First thing you do this. First sign. The sacrifice is gone. Second sign is with the fleece. Third sign. Sign after sign. Finally he said, okay, you just go down with your servant. Take the servant with you because you are fearing. Uh, hold his hand. I can see your finger shaking. Hold his hand. <laughs> go with go down. Go listen to what they are saying. Listen to that. There also God gives a Gentile a dream. Another Gentile interpretation for Gideon's sake. <laughs> just think for a minute. Okay. Just example-wise, Prime Minister Modi has a dream. What does this mean? Goes to Amit Shah. What does this mean? Amit Shah says, oh, this has got to do with the people of God of Israel. This has got to do with the Christians. Leave them alone. Otherwise, they will overcome us. And they say, quietly order given, leave the churches alone. Why? You think it's not possible? It's not possible. That's why I go through the Bible. You Sometimes you can't help but laugh. <laughs> then suddenly 300 is enough. He is full of Josh. Earlier, earlier, God, God. Now he says, hey, God, dudes, you can add sort of Gideon also. 300 divided into 100 groups, 100. Take your stand, position yourself. You need to have really believed to go to fight an army without a sword. What's in your hand? Empty picture, flame and a trumpet. You don't have to fight. When God says you don't have to fight, don't take your weapons along. In case. <laughs> that is where it comes, believing. Right? Position yourself. 
stand still and see the salvation of God. Stand still. I'm telling you, you'll, you'll, you'll love this God if you really, really get to know Him. Okay, you'll start enjoying His humor. Let's go to the next verse. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. Did you see that? You didn't see that. Has a single one of the enemy died? Have you seen the enemy coming? Have you seen the enemy destroyed? Just on the word of God, they worshipped. Looking at the result as having happened. Do you know what's written in the book of Genesis? When Abraham said, Eliezer to look out, find a bride for his... He came, reached the well, he went, he prayed, so Lord, if I have one favor, God of my boss Abraham, and he prayed, and Rebecca came out. And he asked the questions. The questions were exactly, answer was exactly what he had asked the Lord. He hasn't asked the girl permission for about her hand. She hasn't gone to the house. She hasn't asked her parents. But what did he do? He went on his face and worshipped the Lord knowing prayer answered. That's faith. That's faith. They didn't worship after. They worshipped before. Because they knew his word. Once he has spoken, it is done. It's done. They worshipped. What does scripture say? Yeah, go, go back, go back. The previous verse. Then the Levites of the children of the Gohites and the children of Gohites stood up to praise the Lord and God of Israel with voices loud and high. Just not worship. They started praising. How do you praise before your results are out? If you have heard from God. How do you praise before you get your job? Because you heard from God. If you have spoken, it is true. I can praise now. How can you sing in prison with your backs broken? Because you are anyway back broken or whole, you are overcomer in Christ Jesus. I am celebrating my victory. Why do God's people always praise and thank and walk and worship? Because they are not looking here, they are looking there and they know. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. So you have seen the result before it has happened. Therefore you worship. That's faith. That's faith. That's what God is talking about. That's how Eliezer worshipped God. Let's go to verse 20 and 21. So there was early in the morning. And went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. As they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord. Your God, you shall be established. Believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. Believe in God. And believe what the vessel has spoken. Through whom the vessel has spoken. Not believe in the prophet, meaning believe in the prophet, but what he has spoken. That is God speaking. Believe and you shall prosper. Believe in God and obey what you heard God speak through that man. Obey and you will prosper. Let's go further. And when he had consulted the people and he appointed those who sing to the Lord, who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Take it. They didn't get it. 
You didn't get it. Read it again. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who would praise what? And how did they go? Singing? Praise the Lord for his mercy? Doesn't fit with my thinking at all or your thinking. Now it fits in with my thinking when I meditated on it. But otherwise it doesn't fit with our thinking. What's going to happen? A huge army is coming. God has given me victory. He has told us you don't have to wait. Take your stand. Wait. Your enemy will be destroyed. You don't have to worry at all. What should I be praising? Hallelujah. Glorious. Mighty. Wonderful. Powerful. He says no. Praise him in the beauty of his holiness. When you praise him in the beauty of holiness, that's not what you are saying from your mouth. That is what angels say, holy, holy, holy. The fallen man will say, your mercy endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. Because of your mercy, I am not consumed. I am not consumed. That's praise. That's genuine praise. We are not consumed, not because we are holy. We are not consumed because the one in him, in you and me is holy. We are not consumed. And when you know that, your cry all the days of your life as a fallen creature is, your mercy endures forever. That's what he's saying. Worship him in the beauty of his holiness. They, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Syrians, and you are no different. Why is God's hand upon you? Because of his covenant with Abraham. Why is God's hand upon us? Because his covenant with Jesus. Make man humble. Really, really bring you down to earth. That's why it is important. And they just worship God. And they just praise God. And they are not praising God and worshipping God. That's the difference why I always tell you the dance of Miriam and the dance of David. That's the difference. Miriam's dance was exalting over the power of God. David's dance, when he saw the ark coming and the presence of God, he realized before God, I am just an ordinary man, just a servant. He is the only one who is king. He takes up the real robes and he dances like an ordinary man, worshipping God as holy. Miriam's is our dance. No, like all this thing over miracles. I am not saying you shouldn't jump at your miracles, but as if that is the only time you will jump, that means you haven't understood that we are here because of his mercy. That's why scripture says his mercies are new. New? Yes. He walked through Jesus' life. Blind man. Jesus, son of David. What? What does he want? Healing. What does he say? Have The fact that you and I are able to see is the mercy of God. The fact that you and I can hear is the mercy of God. We don't deserve it. The fact that we are alive and strong is the mercy of God. We don't deserve it. The mercy of God. Everything you and I have is the mercy of God. So when the man who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, when he praises and worships, in his heart is welling thanks. What is that? Your mercy endures forever. Why this is important is God told through his servant take your position stand that is spiritual. The practical application Jehoshaphat understood. It doesn't mean you stand still and watch a spectacle. It means worship God in his holiness and sing praises for his mercy. 
It's not just sitting still, standing over there. There is an action involved in that still. How the prophet speaks and how the man of God interprets are both important. And then you will see, it's interesting, the next verse. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. They were defeated. Next verse, what did they do? For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them and when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. That's what I also say. Lord, if these are your battle tactics and if they come against your people, the coalition will fall. They will fight among themselves. We will stand and worship you, if that is your way. On the other hand, if you have another plan for the church to come through the fire, let it be. But I will never negate you, your power to bring the strongest government in Indian history down if they raise their hand against your innocent people. We will praise you through it all. We will worship you through it all because you are the same God. Moab and Ammon and Seir may come together. We will come before you, spread your hand before you. We have no power to handle this. Our eyes are upon you. Do what you have to do, Lord. And if you take us through the fire, you will walk us through the fire. But if you bring them down, you will do it your own way. But we will not have to raise our hand. We will just praise you. We will just worship you. Because we are acknowledging you are able and you are sovereign. So we do not fear. And in your personal situations, you do not fear. Because you know in whom you have believed. Not you know what you have believed. You know in whom you have believed. You need to know also what you have believed. And both are important. So learn. Learn. So this morning as we go to communion, our first communion of the twelfth year, as we come to the table, keep this in your heart. When you praise, learn to praise. Learn to praise. Lord, I thank you among all you chose me, Lord. I thank you. I'm sure you saw something in me, Lord. That's why you chose me. No, your mercy endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. That's why I say this year you will, God will fill many of you. He will give you gifts. He will give you boldness. But never forget who we are. Never forget who he is. Let not pride come in. Remember the disciples when they started casting out demons and blah, blah, blah. All. They got so excited and said, Lord, demons are cast out at your name. He said, don't get too excited. You know what he said? Be grateful. Your names are written in the book of life. Did you do anything for that? No. What are we grateful about? His work. Because you died on the cross, my name is there. Your mercy endures for everything else I do, you do through me. You get the glory, I get nothing. Stay that way. Because success will come in your life. Many of you will do well. Stay humble. Stay humble. When you do well in life, stay humble. When you rise up in life, stay humble. When you become rich, stay humble. You should never change. You should still be doing the things you always did in church. Doesn't matter how high. In some of the places where I go in northeast in the churches, who serve in the churches in little, little things, if you ask them who they are, you would be very, very stunned. District collector, secretaries with the CM, like one of the elders of one of the churches in Sikkim, he has been just appointed as minister. And I know him. 
He won the election. He's one of the ministers. But you know, on Sundays, if the pastor has given them a job, they will quietly come and nothing. The guards will wait outside. Inside, they will do their job. And should be like that. In Shillong, one of the churches where the flower decoration is done, if you ask him, not now, a few years earlier, who is he? He will say he's the chief income tax collector of Mekhalaya. What does he do? For flower arrangement on Sunday in the church. Stay that way. Stay that way. Because you know your God. And you know his mercy endures forever. Ever. Ever. This morning, even as we go to the Lord's table, remember it's not my table, it's not our table, it's his table. He's the one who invited us to his table. And he did not serve just bread and wine. He served spiritually his own body and his blood. There has never been in history a host like that who served his own life to those who are invited to that table. So this morning when we come to that table, we come acknowledging, Lord, if I am here today in your house, alive, standing, it's because your mercy endures forever. But for your mercy, Lord, we wouldn't have been here. But for your mercy, Lord, we would have been consumed long time ago. But for your mercy, Lord, we wouldn't have been a people of hope, a people of God. We would have been a people who are lost, just like the Ammonites and the Moabites, whose history has been wiped off from the face of the earth. And Israel still alive because your mercy and your mercy alone, Lord. So this morning, Father, even as we come to you, we come to you, we humble ourselves, Lord. We will never say one thing good about ourselves, but we will say everything good about you, Lord. You are good and you are always good, Father. Always, always good, Lord. Cover us, Father, with your goodness. Cleanse us with your precious blood, Lord. Look unto us with mercy and compassion, O Lord. Stretch forth your hand over our lives, our homes, our church, our land, O Lord. Have mercy, mercy, mercy on this nation, Lord. Have mercy, Lord. The mercy you showed us, show mercy to this nation too, Lord. As we come to the emblems of your body and your blood, help us to partake of it by faith, believing it brings healing, believing it sanctifies believing it brings life believing it sets us free Lord help us to believe and partake of it Lord thank you, thank you Father in Jesus name we pray Amen The dying thief rejoice to see
morning as we come to the end of this worship service. It was God who fought their battle. And it is the same God who will fight our battles. That's why it's important that we hear and know His ways and worship Him once we have heard and praise Him once we have heard. That's what He told them each time. From the time they came out to Egypt, if you look at all those battles, God guided them, God showed them. Like I said, God spent most of His time preparing a man or a woman of war. We are more worried about the tactics, but the tactics He will tell you. The weapons he can use, anything. Can be Moses' rod. Can be the jawbone of a donkey for Samson. Can be an ox goat for Shamgar. Can be a sling for David. And all this which brought down multitudes. So for Gideon it was an empty pitcher with a torch and a trumpet. And it was God who was fighting the battle in each of these cases. Even when David went to fight Goliath, he knew it was God who was fighting for him. That's why he said, you come against me with spear, sword and javelin, but I come against you in the name of Jehovah Shabbat. So that's how we win our victories too. But as I go to the end, if you look at 20, verse 26 and 28. So on the fourth day, on the fourth day, three days, full destruction. And gathering loot. Fourth day, in the terms of three days plus one, is the eighth day. New beginnings. Okay? Fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka for they, they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of that place they call the valley of Baraka until this day. Then they returned every man to Judah, of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. Did you see? They began with worship and praise. They ended with worship and praise. This is the key. Whenever you have a victory in your life and you know God has given you the victory, come back with praise and worship to the house of God. Problem with this, that's why Jesus said, how many of you were healed? Ten. And how many came back? One came back. Okay. When God blesses you, gives you your victory. Remember the man with the pool at Bethsaida? Pick up your mat and walk. How many years was he there? Thirty. He didn't even know who healed him. He didn't know Jesus. But he knew the house of God. So he went straight to the house of God. And Jesus found him there. And then said, I'm the one who healed you. Why is this important? Is because in so many places you may get healed. But unless you come to the house of God, you may not know who actually healed you. Therefore you come to have an another encounter to know God better and deeper. Come back with your praise and worship. Worship team doesn't have to struggle. We have come with our victory. Because we have stood still. We have taken our positions. We know God is fighting our, fighting our battles. We know He will always win the war. He will never lose. He has never lost a battle. He's a man of war. So we come with praise and worship each time we gather in the house of God. And there is rejoicing. They came, worship, praise and 
rejoicing. So this morning is, do not fear. Fear is the weapon of the enemy. Change your eyes. Jehoshaphat was afraid, but he sought the Lord. And he put his case before God, made known his helplessness, his weakness. And then he said, my eyes are upon you. That's what matters, where your eyes are. Eyes are upon you. You have a covenant. Your mercy endures forever. You are a faithful God. See, when you go to God, don't be like um, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, when he was told he's going to die, recounted all his good deeds. I always tell people, if God comes and tells you, get ready to die, you must ask him, can I pick my coffin? Instead he cried. But I can understand an Old Testament man crying because he was stuck in paradise for how many years you don't know until Jesus comes and takes you. But new covenant people cry. Because you do not know your God. Here Lord, we are at your appointed place. So do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Always in church history of 2000 years, the odds were always against God's people. Always. Therefore in Romans 8 and verse 31, there is an interesting term. What then we shall say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Not only that, what can be against us? If you lose your job, what can be against us? Verse 35 onwards. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, asceticism? For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you able to get the whole picture of what God is saying? Stand still. And see the deliverance of the Lord. Stand still. So as we close, can I have that song, worship team? Lord, we acknowledge you. We don't know what to do.
Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We stand at the threshold, beginning of a new year for the church. This is the twelfth year. <clears throat> we haven't gone this way before. We don't know what the days, the weeks, the months ahead hold for us. Individually, as families, as a church. But Father, our eyes are on you. Go before us. We rest our lives at your feet. We rest our destinies at your feet. We rest the future of the church at your feet. And our eyes are on you, Lord. Go with us. But above it, Lord, go before us. We will follow. Speak to us. We will obey. Teach us. We will learn. Fill us. That your life may flow out of us. Reverse, Lord. Flow out of us. I bless your church in your name. Let the hand of the living God rest upon each one of us, Lord. Each one. Heal your people. Deliver your people. Strengthen your people. Empower your people. Give success to your people, Lord. But through it all, Father, keep us humble. Keep us close to you. Close to you, Lord. Help us never, ever to forget all that we receive freely from you is because your mercy endures in our life. Help us always to praise you and worship you for your mercy, for your compassion, for your kindness, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for who you are, O oh God. Help us to walk strong this year. Help us to stand still this year. Help us to see God fight our battles this year. Help us to experience the deliverance of God in each one of our lives and homes, O oh Lord. We just surrender, Father, by faith. Every home here, every child here, every child that is not here that belongs to the church, I commit them all into thy hands, O oh Father. And I pray, set us free to worship you. As Jehoshaphat and all of Judah, when they saw God deliver their enemy from their enemies, they rejoiced and they worshipped and they praised, O oh Lord. Help us by faith to worship you and praise you now Lord because the deliverance is of the Lord thank you thank you Father thank you Lord by faith we lift up holy hands in the house of God and we bless your holy name we bless your holy name we bless your holy name and we proclaim thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever and ever O oh Lord come Lord Jesus we confess with our lips Maranatha come Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Once again, I commit the church into the hands. And all our churches into the hands. And all your servants into the hands. And all our ministries into the hands. Be with us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. 
Amen.